that uh, they may begin to hear me preach. But then I got to looking in there, and my name wasn't on there, so it must have been Brother Fraser that they come to hear. But uh, anyway, we want to try to bring the message that the Lord has given us. We stand here in fear and trembling because as we come closer to the end time, if it could be this way, we have a greater responsibility than we've ever had before to stand for the truth. And almost three years ago, I came here, and they began to tell me I had retired. All I did was start drawing my Social Security so I could live, and the Lord has opened up places for the last, will be three years, the first of the year, and I've been preaching ever since. And then, lo and behold, in September, a church that I pastored for seven years, I guess they forgot, 29 years ago I left there, and they extended a call and wanted me to come back. And every time I'd look in one direction or another, I'd say, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do that. And every time I'd look, the door would be wide open. I didn't know a thing but to do is keep praying, and I couldn't get a no, so I accepted the pastorate of the Logana Baptist Church. And we had a wonderful experience last Sunday. One of the former pastors came. I talked to him earlier in the week, and he came, and he said, Brother Gian, I'd like to talk to the church. And I said, all right. He told me what was on his mind. He said, when I left there, and part of the time while I was there, I didn't have the right spirit. And I said some things that I know that they were harsh. And I didn't realize it, or maybe realized it and didn't care. And he said, I'd like to come before the church and ask for their forgiveness. And I tell you, we had like a revival Sunday morning when the former pastor, maybe this pastor will need to do that too, but I hope that unlike Brother Clark, I don't, can't make me mad in the Word of God. I, I don't want to get mad, and I don't, but uh, nevertheless, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be able to be here, because I count this as one of the greatest conferences that there is going on today. There's been some great conferences, and this is one of the highlights of my life, I look forward every year coming and being here. I don't always preach, but I get lifted up every time I come. And I thank the church and Brother Clark for giving me this opportunity. Now, my message has been preached already two or three times, and I'm going to just put the finishing touch on it unless somebody else, the Lord's given it to them, and they can finish it up. But turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 2, and I'm going to read some of chapter 2, and I'm going to read some of chapter 3. I want to read 1 John chapter 2, and I want to read the first two verses. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also so for the sins of the whole world. And then in verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. In verse 13, 
I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Now in verse 18, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And then go with me to verse 28. He says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And then also in verse 18, we read this. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Needless to say, my subject tonight is my little children. I'm writing to you little children. And as John writes this, this is a term that uh, many people, when they get older, and I'm not old yet, but when I get old, I still will have a desire for my little children. My little children, those that, some of them that are my children in the faith, and then my children in the flesh that God has enabled us to have. And also it's a term used because of love and affection that we have for these little children. We have a love for them. And I hope that I'll be able to carry you into the frame of mind that this love that John wrote about and what I feel in my heart will be in your heart also for your little children. These are the ones that he's writing to that are children in the faith. Now Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the ministry. He referred to him as his little children. And then also in this, I believe that we can see that John writing and John the last of the apostles and he's writing and saying now there's a time coming in which that I'm going to move off of the scene and you little children are going to have to, can we use the term, take the ball and run with it. There's a work to be done and you're going to have to do it. I can remember my grandmother when she was 97 years young that her children and my mother who was 80, she'd come to her and she'd say, now you kids or you children. They were still precious to her. And then when my mother was 89, she talked about you children, and my oldest brother was 72 years old. They're still children to them, and they still have a love, and I have a love for my children, and you have, have children today, you have a love for them. And John has some instruction. He has some words in which that he wants to say, and I realize that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and God is directing this, but he uses the personality of John, and John's writing this to my little children, my little children in the faith. I don't believe that we ever come to a place as Christians when we do not have love for our children. Our children grieve us many times. They do things that we don't like. And we'd like to pick them up now, even if they weigh 200 pounds, and turn them across their knee and give them a spanking. 
But we can't always do that. But I tell you what we can do. We can take them to the Lord and we can pray for them and ask God to work in their heart and cause them to turn. Sometimes he doesn't see fit to turn them. Sometimes they go on until he puts a stop in their lives. And then they look up and they realize, God, I've made a mistake. And then they come back. And then we can feel, in a sense, what the prodigal son's father said or did when he saw his son coming back. And he looked out and he was waiting and his arms were outstretched. And I can hear him as he says, my son, which was dead, and now he's alive. He's come back. Kill the fatted calf. Go out here. Get shoes or sandals and put on his feet. Put the ring on his finger and have a banquet, a time of rejoicing. My son's been gone, but now he's come back. And so many people today, they use the expression, and I've heard this in Christian people. They grew up and they've had a hard time growing up. And as they grow up, they make a statement like this. I want my children to have the things that my parents weren't able to give to me. I don't know whether that's a good decision for you to make or even a good request because I look at you and the hardships and the things that you did without, you turned out real well. And when I see parents making statements like that or hear them making statements and doing things like this, usually they ruin their children because their children expect everything that they want and it's not good for them. But here I believe that he is concerned as his dear children. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14 in the last part of it says, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Often late in life, we as older people and our parents before us, they have to look to the children for help. And I believe that when that love that they should have and, and the love that we have expressed has been shown back and forth that we will care for them and we'll stay with them until they breathe that last breath regardless of what they've done. Too often, we today, we don't realize what's going on. And so what John wrote in that day to those that were to follow him, I believe those things still apply to us today. We need to stand for the things of the Lord. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, and uh, verse 5, the Lord, just before he went back into heaven, and uh, he raises this question, or he said unto him, John, get over in John instead of Acts, but in John chapter 21, and uh, verse 5, he says this, Simon Peter, and they had gone to fishing, and Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered, No. He said unto them, just cast your net over on the other side. Cast your net over there. And you know what they did? They cast their net on the other side. And when they cast their net on the other side, they didn't catch a ship full of fish. They caught two of them because they beckoned for their brethren to come out here. Our ship can't contain all of it, and we need some help. And they brought them in. But he looked at them and he says, children, have you any meat? He's looking out for their welfare. He's looking out for their good. And, and as I think about this, we ought to be looking at the same thing and saying, have you any meat? And certainly we're not going to let them go without the things that they have need of. I'm not if I can get anything. Stories read or told in one of the commentaries on John and used the illustration about John and a young convert 
John had witnessed to and the Lord had saved him. And this man, after he was saved, he'd gone out and he had robbed someone. And, and because of John's concern for him, he began to look and he sought out the young man. And as he went to the young man and searching for him, the young man looked at him and saw him. And he turned around and ran in the opposite direction. Said John, being an old man, he took out after him not realizing and forgetting that he was old. He couldn't keep up with him, but then he cries out unto the young man and pleads something with him. Look here, I'm an old man, and I, I'm not going to hurt you. And he said, you're armed, and I don't have any weapon. Come here, I want to say something to you. And he says, uh, I want to show pity unto you, and I wish you would take the burden that is before me and before Christ in necessarily. I want to take you to the Lord and I want to get this thing straightened out. Don't throw your life all away. I, I would even go so far that I'd give my life that you might live. And I believe this is the attitude that we have for our children. If need be, we'd lay down our lives for them. And the scripture says, greater love hath no man than this, that he'd lay down his life for his brother. John says, I'm writing unto you. He says, I'm writing, and I believe we can look at this and see that he says, I am doing the writing. I personally am writing unto you. And he says, I want you to know that we don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ the righteous. I want you to know that these little children that he's writing to, these that are in the faith, I want you to know that we have an advocate with the Father. And this is a good thing to know that we do have an advocate is one who is there and he's including himself in it. We have an advocate. He's mine, he's yours, and we need to receive what he has done for us. And so in this, he says that there is one that goes alongside, and I believe the Greek language is the word parakletos or something like that, one that stays right with you. I remember Brother Berlin Heisel using that illustration, and he says, when I'm down in the ditch, he's there. When I'm up on the mountain, he's there. He's the one that stays with us all the way. And he's there, and as he is there, he's the one that is our lawyer. He's the one that's pleading our case. He's our pleader. He's the one that's able to stand in the presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's able to stand there. He's the one not pleading his own case, but it's the case of another. In the judicial courts, the counselor, the pleader, the intercessor, he is the one that's going to plead our case before the Heavenly Father. And then there's something else that he said here in that second verse. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins of the whole world. That doesn't mean everybody in the world, but they're from all walks of life that he is the propitiation. And this word propitiation means he's the one that's able to satisfy the judge, the righteous one, the heavenly father. And when the father sees what he has to offer, he says, it's a closed case. And I tell you, I've never been in court, but if I were to go to court, I'd like to be like what he's saying he is here, that I'm the one that is able to satisfy all the demands that the father makes upon you. He's the satisfaction. And so as you go to court, wouldn't you like to know the outcome of it before you go? You say, I know pretty well what's going to happen. But this is something that you can be sure of. It's positive. He is our propitiation. Satisfies all the demands 
for the sins that you and I, as believers, that we have committed. He's the one that, as Job prayed, oh, that there were a daysman. Somebody that could understand my side. Somebody that could understand God's side and could bring us together. And that's what Jesus is for us. The satisfaction. It's pleasing unto the Father. Know how the case is going to come out. And I know that if you were taken to court sometime, that you'd like to say, boy, I wish I could be that sure in this case. But many times we aren't because we're guilty. And if there's a fine, the fine has to be paid. And it usually comes out of our own pocket. And so uh, what he has is going to satisfy Almighty God. Little children, I want you to know this, that when you do sin, that we have somebody that's able to plead our case and he has the payment to make full payment all out of this. And then also, uh, here's another thing that you have assurance that is because little children, we keep his commandments. Now somebody preached this already today, but it's true, we keep his commandments as the children of God. We do what he tells us to do. We want to do it. We don't have to do it in the sense that we're driven to it, but we keep them because we love Him. You don't have to come here tonight, but because your love for Him, you had a desire to come to the house of the Lord. He came. You came here because of love. And then you and I, as His little children, we abide in Him. And He says in the Gospel of John that as little children you must abide in the branch. And these branches are these things that go out if you're not fastened to the main, the root of the, there, you, you don't have any life in you. But we abide in Him. We stay there because that we're fastened unto Him because we've been born from above. And then also uh, there are those who only profess that they know Him. And I don't know all of you people here tonight, but I'm sure that there are some in the congregation, all possibility, and I'm not being judge of this, but I'm sure that there are some in a congregation of this size that have professed that they know Jesus Christ, but they have no assurance in their heart that they're going to heaven, that they've not actually had the experience of the new birth. Somebody may have talked you into joining the church or give you a reason why you ought to be baptized and you've come forward and presented yourself and said, I, I'm saved and I want to be a part of this body. Are you willing to be baptized? And you, on the authority of the church, they've been dipped in the water. Now, the, the John is saying there's some that are that way, that they have no assurance. But you have assurance because you keep his commandments, you abide in him. They're only professing that they're the children of God. And I'll tell you what, that people walk by you day by day. They see what you're doing. They see what you do and where you go and the things of your life. And they can read you. And that's why that many people, they have no witness and no testimony before the people that they come in contact with day by day. You invite them to church. You say, I've invited them a dozen times. And they've not uh, come the first time. And I believe that a lot of times the reason is because your actions speak louder than what your invitation from the lips are. And that's a sad thing. And that's a hindrance to the church and to encourage people to come. These people are only fakes. They're make-believe. They're like the fellow that uh, drinks. And he said, I may drink, but I'm not a drunk. 
And at the same time, he doesn't know where he is, and he can't even stand up. But I'm not an alcoholic, and that's what they say. Or those that are on drugs, they say, well, I do drugs a little bit, but, but I'm not addicted to them, and they don't even know where they are or what's going on. They're make-believe. And those in the church that are not truly children of God have never experienced the new birth, God working in your heart, whether there was anybody else around you, wherever you were, that God made you aware of your lost condition and deserved to go to hell. There's regret, there's remorse, there's repentance in our heart. What are we going to do? Like the men in Acts 2.38, what shall we do, men and brethren? And he preaches to them Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer, Paul preached unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Everyone in your house that becomes a believer. He's not talking about infant salvation. He's talking about everyone that becomes a believer. And you can believe you have eternal life. And so uh, there are people today that are make-believe. And uh, they're afraid that somebody will tell on them what they've seen them doing. And I believe that it'd be a good thing if we'd learn to be tattletales when we find people that are members, our names are on the church roll, that give no indication that they're the children of God. They need to be brought before the church. You say, but it's my son or my daughter or my grandson or grandchild, and I hate to do this. I'll tell you why you don't do it. You don't love them the way that you should because this causes love in our heart will cause them to be corrected and be able to be brought back into fellowship if they are the children of God. And if they're not the children of God, they need to be exposed and make them to see where they stand because they're going to stand open one day before Almighty God. They're going to give an account unto Him. And if they do not know Him, He's going to say, Depart from me, ye cursed, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There never was a relationship that brought forth life. And if they can see that and God uses your testimony and He sees fit to save them, then you'll be able to rejoice in it because this is the way that he worked. Now here's something that a lot of them do, and that is they call themselves rededicating their life. I had a young lady at Big Bone Baptist Church, and I suppose during the 10 years that I was there, she came a hundred times in that time, rededicating her life, rededicating her life. Every time we'd have a revival, boy, here she'd come down the aisle. Even Brother Clark up there. That girl came. I don't know how many other times, but a lot of times through the year. Well, let me tell you, rededication does not mean to snap your fingers for salvation is concerned. If she wasn't saved, she can walk the aisle every service. What she needs is to be able to repent of those sins. If she's saved, she needs to repent. If she's lost, she needs to repent. There needs to be that remorse in her heart. I've sinned against God, and I deserve to be cast into eternal hell and do something about it. But I've seen people go out and they'll sin, they'll do something, they know that they're wrong, they get caught in their sin, and they come before the church and say, I want to apologize, I want to ask the church forgiveness. Two weeks later they go back and do the very same thing again, and down the aisle they come again. I tell you, until they can get this thing straightened out in your life, in your heart, there's no repentance, there's no uh, turning unto God. You just as well stay where you are. I believe it's nothing but mockery in the coming into the house of the Lord. And so rededication does not take the place of salvation. And one day you will be found out. One day your life's going to be open. 
And everybody's going to be able to see through everything that you've ever done. In this 12th verse, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You are in him. Your sins have been forgiven. You keep his commandments. And as you keep his commandments, his words are not grievous. In John chapter 14 and verse 21 through 24, and I read this. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, listen to this. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is mine, but the Father which is not mine, but the Father which sent me. I'm not delivering my message, but this is the message from the Father. You will love him, and, and the reason you'll love him is because that he loved us. And then also in verses 9, I want to read verses 9 uh, through 11 in the second chapter. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. How many times you say it? A dozen times a day. If you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He's in the light, and everything that would cause you to stumble has been brought into the light, and you can walk around it. You don't have to fall into it. He says, He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goes. He doesn't know where he's going because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. He does not hate his brother. He does not uh, walk in, in the light. And he says that you are the light of the world. You're the light that people can see Christ. And our light is to shine. Once that Christ has come into our heart, into our lives, there's a change coming. If there's not a change, you need to go back and examine whether you be in Christ. But you're the light, and we are the light of the world. The love we have for him, for Christ, is the same love that he put in our heart. And we can love him because he first loved us, and now we can reflect that love. We can show that love, and that's what we need to do, and that's what I want out of my life. The love is a mutual thing because love is of God. Love and hate cannot go together. You can't love God and hate him at the same time. And how, somebody read this, and it's here in the scripture, how can you love God whom you've not seen and say, I don't love my brother whom you have seen? You will have a love for your brother. They just do not go together. If you love God, you love him also that is begotten of the Father. And so there's where we stand as the children. John says, I'm writing these. I want you to know it. I want you to understand what your position is because there's going to come some antichrist and you're going to need to know these things and stand up against these false teachings. Fellowship with God is who is light. In him is no darkness. And we cannot walk in darkness and light at the same time. Where there is light, this comes to the time as light comes on and the darkness disappears. You walk into this building of a night and it's all dark and all you have to do is turn one switch on and the darkness disappears. And when the love of God is in our heart and it's here and we, we're going to, that light's been turned on, darkness will disappear. These 
are the young, not necessarily in age, but they are seemingly young Christian. And he keeps writing these things, which is to draw a line so that you will know those that are the children of God and those that are not the children of God. We need to know who's on the Lord's side, who's serving the Lord. You watch their lives and we can see what they're doing. And so he keeps writing so that you can know these things. He writes to the fathers. He writes to you young men. I believe these fathers are men that have been saved. They've been in the church. They've seen all kinds of things. They didn't go to school and I'm not opposed to school. I've been to school myself, but I learned to pastor in the field. That's where I learned it. And I had some hard lessons when the first year that I was in the ministry, but I got through them and I don't practice those things anymore because they weren't the best things for me in one sense of the word, but they're good teachers because I remember my faults. I remember what I've done. See, so I try not to do that. And these young men that are strong, able to stand, and these are uh, men that are not as old as the ones that have lived here a long time and, and old pillars in the stove church, but these are men that are coming along and in a few years they'll be moving up. Now you little children, I want you to know these because you're going to be out in the world and you need to know how to stand. You need to know what's doing. Verse 17 says, I write, uh, I've written unto you uh, fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you and uh, ye have overcome the wicked one. I want you to know these and I want you to stand in these things. He says, I have written. And I believe what he's saying here is, I'm writing this now, but when you get it, I will have already written it and I want you to know these things. I'm passing them on to you even in this time. Now the last time or this time is here and uh, I don't believe that he's referring to the age that we're living in now because these people will not, are not living today. But in the age in which that you're living now, I'm going off of the scene, but somebody's going to have to go ahead and take a stand against these false ones. And I want you to know who they are. I want you to know what to look for along the way. Those that are, uh, not, I don't believe he's referring to Judaism nor uh, in the fall of Jerusalem. These have already taken place. But now as I go off of the scene, I want to tell you some things. Now, there's sometimes when you hear an old person, older man or older woman, they'll say, now, I want to tell you some things. And I tell you, it'd be well worth your while to listen to what they have to say because they've traveled this road before. I can look back when I was just a young preacher and I didn't understand all of it. But I can remember when Elkhorn Association met in Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. And there was an older man, 92 years young, and he didn't know much about driving, but boy, he came into that meeting. And I can remember him, a white-haired man, a tall man, and he raised up that bony finger. He wrote a book called Alien Baptism and the Baptist, William Nevin. Some of you may have read his book. But I saw that old man stand there and say to that association, to Ashton Avenue Baptist Church and all the churches that were represented, this is going to come. As far as I know at that time, at that time, there wasn't a church in that group of churches, 68 or 9 churches, that would receive baptism other than what we know as true baptism today. But he says, it's coming. You watch it. And then I saw when 
Another time they met when Trinity Baptist Church there in Lexington had come out and openly said, we will receive a person by, if they've been immersed, regardless of who did it, and receive them into their church. And I remember being in that association meeting. And after that association meeting, I went back to the Logana Baptist Church, and it became an independent Baptist church. And it stayed independent. But anyway, I uh, went there and we asked that the association, don't you recognize Trinity? And we were meeting in their church building. And that took a lot of nerve. And you know what? I heard those older folks, you know, they're the ones that go to the association. That bunch from Ashland Avenue, they're always causing trouble. And Franklin Owens, pastor of Calvary, the money church at that time, he said, brethren, I've been in South Carolina in a meeting, and they're receiving it down there, and it's coming this way. You're just as well to accept it. And I heard the fellow from uh, another church out there in Lexington, I can't call the name of it right now, and I know his name, but he said, I've been there too, and you're just as well to accept it. And it looks like all the Southern Baptists in that church, or in that area, have taken their advice because they'll receive alien immersion regardless of who did it if they've been dipped in the water. Now they won't accept pouring or sprinkling, but they will accept that. And there's a battle going on in that area today. And I don't know, I, I've tried to study this because I, I think the Lord has prepared me to help me to stand there. And I'd ask you to pray for me. I'm not going to say that I'll do everything right. I'll not be as brave and bold as Peter was. And he said, Lord, they'll not kill you. I'll stop you. Lord said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what you're saying. Before the cock crows the second time, you will have denied me three times. Lord, everybody else can turn their back upon you, but not me. I hope that I'll stand. And I need to pray because I was out of it in a sense. And then God seemingly picked me up and put me right in the midst of it. Just 14 miles from Lexington. And I thought about this. And I believe Mordecai said unto Esther, Who knows but what the Lord has brought you here for this time. And I want to stand. I'm scared. I know the devil and I'm no match for him. But I know God will see us through it. I went to the church where I'm pastor now, and hadn't been there but a couple of weeks. When one young man walked down the aisle and said, I want to be a member of Logana Baptist Church, and I talked to him. And I said, the only way that we can receive you is by your baptism and not from the church that you're a member of. Because that church, their pastor says, we'll stand. We will stand against alien immersions in any church that receives them, we won't have anything to do with it. In less than two weeks, they received a member from Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. Now what are you gonna do with something like that? You're either gonna stand or you're gonna bow. And our church, when I asked them to receive him by statement because I knew where his baptism was, I make a motion that we receive him by statement. We notified the church that he was coming from that we have received him, not by letter, but by statement. 
And I tell you, there's going to be branches go out everywhere. And we're going to have to stand. My little children, I'm going to be off of the scene. Whether Brother Clark retires or whether the Lord takes him on, we're not going to be here long. You young preachers are going to have to take your stand if the Lord doesn't come back. And if you don't stand and, and uh, take your position, it's going to make it difficult on those that will stand. And I was in Lexington just a couple of weeks ago, the last part of October, when I saw about 60 or 65 preachers stand up and make the statement, will you stand against alien immersion? And boy, they popped up all over. And then several of them have turned and denied already what they said that they would do. Little children, I'm writing these so that you will know. And I tell you that there are those that are out here and they're waiting to pounce upon you. Just like a bunch of vultures whenever a car hits a rabbit and he falls down. Here comes these old buzzards and they're going to pick your bones clean. And we need to stand. Amen. And we need somebody to stand. Amen. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm having problems with cancer. And, and that's why one of the reasons that I took some time off. But I tell you what, God raised me up for a purpose. And I want to be able to stand here. Amen. There are those that do not profess. I mean, they profess, but they don't possess the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's hard to tell a lot of them. You almost have to put them under a microscope to see who they are. And as you look at them, you see that they're faithful. They live good moral lives. They tithe. They invite people to come. But when it comes down to examining the heart, they've missed the mark. They've never been born again. They don't know him as Lord and Savior. And I don't know. And I can't judge. But I wonder if there aren't even a lot of Baptist preachers that have been in the ministry that God hasn't put there. Paul said, the Lord put me in the ministry. They've not been born again. They're like Judas Iscariot. He was numbered with them, but he never was a part of them, and he never became a part of them. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and as he came to him, he said, I know that there are teachers sent from God, for no man does this, you do except God be with him. Nicodemus became a child of God. The eunuch went up to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way back, God said to Philip, go join yourself to this chariot. And he preached to him Jesus. And he believed. And he taught him the need to follow the Lord in baptism. And when they came to him much water, he said, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He says, if you believe on Jesus Christ. And what he, I, I, he didn't go into all the details, but I know that in the background, that he taught him that Jesus is the Christ, that you're a sinner, you need to repent, you need to believe on Jesus Christ, and that he is the Savior, and if you can accept him, if you've been able to receive him, and I believe God was working with Philip, I believe he was working with his heart, and he said, I believe. And Philip stopped the chariot, and they went down into the water, and I don't think he took him down there to sprinkle a few drops on his head, nor to pour water on his head, but he baptized him, he immersed him. And they came up out of the water. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And Philip went into Azotus preaching the word of God. And so in this we see so many. And John's writing here. He says, I want you to know these things. Antichrists are coming. And he says, those that do righteously, they're the righteous ones. They're the ones that are born from above. And we need to do what that 
God has commanded us, and we do it willingly. We do it because we want to. Just as Jesus' mother at the wedding feast said they are out of wine. He said, what's that to me? My hour has not come. She said, do what he says. And they did. And they filled up the water pots, and they drew it out. And it was better than the first that they had. Do it. You know what to do. You've been told what to do. Those that do righteously, they are the ones. And then over in the 18th verse here of this third chapter, he says, My little children, let us not love in words, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I wanted to go ahead and finish preaching the sermon, but my time is just about run out. But this baptism that we've been talking about and has been preached about, there's only one kind, and that's the kind that came from heaven through John the Baptist with the authority and those that have come there. And so it's not uh, alien baptism. There's only one kind of baptism, and that's the kind that John had. And then the church, there's only one kind of church, and that's the church that Jesus started while he was here on the face of the earth. And let me tell you, there may be a lot of them that will drop by the wayside, but he says the gates of hell shall not prevail. It's not going to close down. It's going to be here when Jesus comes. There's going to be some of that kind that are here, the true church. And then also we spoke, Brother Smith brought this out today, concerning the Lord's Supper, the elements, and then also... Judas was not there when they observed the Lord's Supper. All you have to do is read the scripture because Jesus says now, the one that I give sop to, he's the one. And uh, they, one of them's going to betray me. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Am I the one? He said, the one that gives sop to. And they didn't even observe. They didn't even hear. And there'll probably be some of you who won't hear me tonight. But Jesus gave the sop to Judas and the Bible says and immediately went out. And then it says after supper is when that he broke the bread. After supper, he gave them the cup. Even Judas was not there, and the owner of the house wasn't there. Jesus and the eleven were there. And then there's just another thing or two, and that is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's here in the, surface, in the scripture. And he says this, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist and denieth the Father and the Son. And whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. See, if you, have, you can't have one without the other. They go together. They're part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit isn't mentioned here, but it goes on a little bit later, and he names the three of them. There's three that bears witness in heaven, and here they are. This is the triune God, and there are people today that will deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the Son of God. He's not this. He's not that. And those that are denied, he says they're liars. They're antichrists. They're opposed unto him. And then also there are those that want entertainment in the church. Now, this is my opinion. I can't back it up in Scripture. Some years ago, we've had the bus ministry. I'm not opposed to bus ministry if it's done the right way and the right purpose. But I tell you what we've done. We've developed a white elephant. Don't know what to do. I don't say we because we don't have it. But uh, there's many of them have gone out here and they've recruited children and brought them into the house of the Lord. Put them in the auditorium. And they're tearing the building down. They won't sit still. They don't want to be there, but they're babysitting. And then they take them back home. One church up in Cincinnati, they pick them up, take them over to church and Sunday school. They take them out and buy their dinner, take them over to the roller rink, 
and they had a roller rink that take care of about 300. They'd take five and 600 in there to roller skate in the afternoon and then take them back home. The man at the roller rink said, we told them to stop. They're tearing up more than they can bring in. What are we gonna do with them? I'll tell you what I believe that they're doing with them. They don't want them in their nice auditoriums. We'll start junior church. We'll get somebody to take care of them. We'll send a man and woman over here and let them do what they will. Now this is my thing, if I'm wrong, well, you correct me. But anyway, we send them over there and they keep them under control. There's enough of them and these pious people sit in their building and they can listen to the sermon that the preacher preaches. But here's what happens. And it's not every case, and I'm sure that God saved some out of these, these groups. But the man and woman, the man starts out and he's busy. And he can't get the time to study. So his wife said, I'll prepare. And you know what happens? Here she is. She's before all of these children and she's teaching. Who's your preacher? I don't know, but Miss So-and-so teaches us or she preaches to us. And they get the idea there's nothing wrong with women preachers. Is that about right? That's the way I see it. But anyway, and here's one other thing, and my time has run out, but here I, I, I'm so grieved about this. I talked to Brother Clark when I called the other day, and that's these men that are supposed to be standing for the truth and saying, I'll stand against these things. And they're fellowshipping and preaching for and writing messages for these preachers that endorses two, three, four wives until you get the right one. Now that's what it all boils down to. But if I understand what he's writing in 1 Timothy, he says the husband of one wife. And that does away with your women preachers. That does away with a man having two living wives. John the Baptist said to Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother Philip's wife as your wife. You know what happened to him? Got his head cut off. And we may be brought to that place if we keep on standing for things like this. But are we better than our forefathers? Not a bit. And there are those that say, and I saw them stand, at Ashley, or not Ashland Avenue, but Bryan Station, and said, we'll stand against alien immersion but they're still contributing, writing for churches and papers that say, if your wife has committed adultery, you can divorce her and it's all right. If she has mistreated you, you can do away with her and remarry. But I don't find that and I don't read it that way in the scriptures. My little children, the last days are upon us. Not the time that the apostles were dying, John was dying, but I believe we're in the last time and we need to stand and do everything that we can to refute these things. Let it be heard what we believe. They may not yield to it, but I'll be free. My conscience will be free that I've preached what God would have me to.